0: is left for three
2: Welcome to a Tuesday evening edition of the Road to Wire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen back with Alex Perutha. Uh, Alex, less than two weeks remain in the longest NBA season of all time, uh, despite there being a condensed schedule and 10 fewer games. Uh, you and I were just talking off air as we kind of worked through some of the injuries on, on tonight's slate. It's just become a slog uh, for, I think, for a lot of fans, for a lot of people working uh, close with the NBA this season. Um... You know, very glad that the playoffs are on the horizon, very much looking forward to that portion of it. But uh, even though we still have a little bit more intrigue with the play in tournament, uh, both conferences, you know, a lot of teams still potentially involved in that six to 10 or seven to 10 range, I should say. Uh, It's gotten a little a little iffy toward the bottom. You know, those bottom four teams in each conference, uh, the injury reports continue to get longer and longer uh, each day. But uh, overall, kind of counting down the days in this regular season. Yeah, I mean I guess
1: the 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 plan has saved us from instead of the bottom four teams, the bottom eight teams <laughs> potentially doing this, right? Yeah. But uh yeah, it's either way, it's it's it is a slog. Like the amount of you know, how many rest days can Mason Plumley realistically get?
2: Well he's on four in a row at this point. Uh <laughs> it, it's noble. it's actually it's fascinating to see Some teams are attempting to skirt the resting rules with these phantom injuries. Josh Jackson is out tonight with a sore tooth, not a toothache, sore tooth. Um, You know, hopefully that's something he'll be able to move past in the near future. Uh, Wayne Ellington, I think it was, we decided had multiple strained calves after resting in the previous two games. Um, So maybe too much rest. And then he stood up and and managed to strain both of his (laughs) calves. We're we're seeing uh, kind of both sides of this thing where I think the NBA really cares um, to have it, you know, the, bar, the marquee players and the marquee teams, like those guys aren't allowed to rest. If you're at the bottom, I don't, I really don't think that they care at all, you know, as, as we're seeing with Detroit, which, you know, they, like I said, they list Mason Plumley as out due to rest, but other guys who are clearly resting have made up phantom injuries. It, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
1: It is, it is bizarre. Um, but I think, uh, I think we to some extent kind of expected this, right? Like I, I know at the, I remember at the beginning of the season, was that this season? I don't even remember. Did Adam Silver put out a, like a memo being like, do not rest players or else. Uh, and I don't did. I don't think either of us like took that super seriously. I can't quite remember, but it seems, uh, it seems like it was pretty predictable that the end result ends up being tons of guys resting and Mm -hmm. zero penalty, except for, I think, I mean, the Raptors got punished once and I can't, I think another team did, but like $50,000 to a multi-billion dollar organization like it doesn't even doesn't even mean anything
2: it means nothing no and i I wrote up something for the site because i think that dropped like right before the regular season and you know i I felt like i needed to at least put something out there And my point was basically this isn't going to change anything the nba says this every year and they never do anything about it um it's just too hard to prove you know it's too hard to prove that a player if if you you know the nba is going to what send somebody out there and be like prove that you're hurt (laughs) and i mean more often than not if if, if if a player feels like they can't play i don't I don't know that they can necessarily even provide definitive proof sometimes. And we've seen that, you know, where it took a pretty extreme situation in Toronto where multiple starters who were clearly healthy were resting for you know two, three games in a row, like right in the middle of a playoff slash play in race. Um, I mean, that was one of the kind of the wilder points of this entire season when Toronto was doing that about a month ago. Um, and that was really the only time the league stepped in. So, yeah, as expected, really not not bringing the hammer down like they implied that they would. Um, but let's let's kind of switch gears and get to our agenda here. LeBron James back in action uh, against Sacramento over the weekend. I thought he looked really good uh, against the Kings, played 32 minutes right away. The Lakers, of course, lost that game. Uh, LeBron did turn it over five times, was one of five from three, but 16 points, eight rebounds, seven assists, two steals, a block. I thought he looked like he was moving really well. Um, didn't look like he was moving quite as well on Sunday against Toronto. Ends up leaving late in that game. And now we find out today that, you know, not only did he miss last night's game against Denver, he's going to miss at least the next two games uh, So the Lakers play a back-to-back Thursday, Friday. I, I think this is officially very concerning, especially because LeBron came back with no ramp-up. Like, apparently he didn't even play five-on-five in practice before getting back on the court. I think that was Friday against Sacramento. Um Yeah, obviously a guy who kind of judges his his own body and makes, I think, his own decisions, you know, whereas the training staff might have a little more input with players, you know, who don't have the kind of stature that LeBron has. But for him personally, knowing that, you know, based on his comments the other night, that they want to stay out of that play-in game, for him to basically rule himself out of two games that the Lakers really need to win, I think that really says something about how concerning this ankle issue actually might be. Yeah, and this is kind of on the back of
1: him he had a quote where he said he's never going to be a hundred percent again. It's like, what does that mean? Exactly. Is it in reference to the ankles? He just, I mean, he's, he's old now, but yeah, I mean, it's especially since after, so he exited the Sunday game against, um, uh, against the Nuggets. And then they asked Frank Vogel about it. And Vogel was like, he did not suffer a setback. Like this did not happen. He was very adamant about the fact that LeBron was fine. And yeah. then like, very shortly after LeBron's like, yeah, I'm not playing Thursday or Friday, um, and then woes reported that he's experienced trouble making hard cuts and exploding, which is like, uh, like you know, if you have an ankle injury, that's yeah, pretty like,
2: consistent with a sprained ankle.
1: <laughs> it's pretty consistent. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is this is bad for the Lakers, obviously, because as you mentioned, like the the whole the fact that he played, he just came in and played out of nowhere. You know, no team update, no indication from anybody, any sources saying he was like about to play. And then it was just like one day I'm at work and it's like LeBron's playing, uh, which was surprising. And now he's hurt again.
2: Yeah, I I, I'm inclined to believe that he didn't necessarily suffer a setback. I, I think he more so probably came back earlier than he should have and realized that, you know, maybe he. Needed another week or two, and and maybe there's a, a kind of a minor setback within there, just kind of from the wear and tear that he sustained playing in those two games. But I mean, if you watch him, it's not like it's not like he rolled his ankle at any point, and it looked like you know that he's, this is something that's going to set him back three, four, five weeks. Like I, I think it's a little bit more just wear and tear and, and, and not feeling quite right. So it, it's not a full panic at this point, but I think the bigger concern, you know, if the Lakers fall to the play-in game, like that's it is what it is. It's it's not that big of a deal, I don't think, but. It's potentially not having LeBron healthy for that game that becomes a bigger issue because without LeBron, as we've seen time and time again over the last couple of years, I mean, that was a nice win last night against Denver. Uh, That was the best that Anthony Davis has looked by far uh, since he returned from his 30 game absence. But he doesn't really bring it like that every single night, especially when LeBron's not out there. Uh, Virtually every other role player on this team is is extremely hot and cold. They're probably going to be without Dennis Schroeder for at least the next few games. Um, so I mean there's a potential scenario here where the Lakers are going into a play in scenario with with both LeBron and Truder, their their first and third best players, having only played in like one or two kind of ramp up games before that.
1: Right. And yeah, I mean they've they've basically been a five hundred team since the All Star break, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean they were alternating wins and losses for a while before they got on a bad stretch here. And yeah, I mean this is this is just rough for them, but to some extent this is not entirely unexpected right from the season. I mean, I think that was, this was always our concern for the season as a whole. And this is more speaking to, to like Schroeder's situation uh, where we were just worried that like, yeah, it's fi- like a player can catch COVID and that sucks and it could be bad for them. And, but it doesn't really matter in the regular season, but what happens mm-hmm. if someone gets, you know, gets health and safety protocoled, you know, heading into the playoffs or like in game six of the NBA finals or game seven. And, so like LeBron could have sprained his ankle in any season, you know, and that's the thing about some of these injuries is like you, you can't really discern whether or not yeah. some of these like sprint ankles or ACL would that have happened a different season? You just you don't know. But health and safety protocols would not have happened during a different season. Um, and like, it's just it's just terrible luck. I mean, if you want to call yep. it luck for Lakers and Schroeder.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's really bad luck for the Lakers. Um, I think what's going to be interesting too is you know if this you know let's say they they lose in the play-in game or they lose in round one, I mean I, I think we're we're going to see a lot of the, well you know we played into October you know I, I think LeBron's already kind of laying the foundation. That's how I took his his play-in quote the other night about you know essentially just like a wildly hypocritical quote based on what he'd said in the past about how the play-in tournament is trash and it's it's not fair at all. Uh, says, you know, says the guy whose team is now one game away from potentially falling into that spot. I, I think there would there would be some, you know, kind of excuse making falling back on on you know how they had to play into late October. Other teams didn't have to. Um, so it kind of feels like it's headed that way. At the same time, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if LeBron comes back on Sunday. I think they play Phoenix and looks like LeBron and all of a sudden the Lakers win four of their last five. And they're the five seed in the West and they're lined up to play the Clippers and, and kind of here we go. And and they're right back maybe where we thought they would be all season, which is kind of the co-title favorites, alongside the Brooklyn Nets. But uh, you know the way things are shaping up at this point, I, I think the the possibility is pretty much gone that the Lakers aren't going to be tested in round one because I mean if, right now if the standings hold, you have you know Utah and Phoenix that they're going to be one two in some order, Denver and the Clippers almost certainly going to be two three in some order none of those are going to be walkthrough series. I, I think ideally if you're the Lakers, you'd want to play Denver. Um, I, I think the worst case scenario is, is having to go to the, you know, maybe missing the play-in game. Let's say you get the, the six seed and then you have to play the Clippers in round one. I, I think that would almost be worse than, you know, having to do the play-in. And and obviously that puts you in a in a win or go home scenario, but I, I think they would probably survive that. And, and then getting a matchup against Utah or Phoenix. Like, even though those teams are the 1 and the 2, I if I'm the Lakers I would still rather play Utah or Phoenix rather than the Clippers.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I I'm a I'm generally a believer in the Jazz, so I I think I I think I still view the Jazz and the and the Clippers pretty equally, but I get I get what you're saying. Like they mm-hmm. are a, no matter what happens, they are now going along one of the like toughest roads possible in the playoffs after a really tough regular season follow it. Like, uh, you know, they got 70 days off since the finals. It's just like, you know, to some extent we shouldn't be surprised if they get bounced early. Right. You know, mm-hmm. given the, the shortened layoff and the situation that they're in, it's, I And mean, we shouldn't like blame them for that.
2: No, at the same time, they won't get any sympathy. It's the Lakers. No, they- it LeBron. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not getting an ounce of sympathy if if that's how it goes down. But, um, yeah, just, just kind of unfortunate luck. And, I, one thing I don't like about how the season is, is kind of playing out down the stretch is like a lot of the fears that we had that I, I kind of wondered, you know, back in December, January, like, you know, how rational is it to think that playing into the bubble is going to cause all these extra injuries and guys are going to be fatigued. And I, I got to admit, I didn't really buy into it all that much. And it, it does kind of seem like a lot of that's coming to fruition now.
1: I mean, it's a short and off season and it's a squeeze season, um, right. which makes it really tough. And, uh, yeah. I mean again, it's it's hard to tell how many of these injuries would have happened otherwise, but right. um I don't know. I'm just looking forward to the if the Lakers get bounced, I'm looking forward to like the the segment on first take that's like Jordan would have been able to play through with only seventy day off season. Right. You know.
2: Somebody cool. yeah, somebody's gonna run the math on you're like well he actually he actually never took any days off while he was filming Space Jam because he practiced <laughs> basketball in his little bubble while he was filming Uh, but yeah, that, that would be a a very long off season, I think for the Lakers, especially if they were to get bounced in that play. in uh, can you please read me some Russell Westbrook statistics? Yeah. The
1: other night Westbrook had 24 assists and 21 rebounds, um, somehow both shocking and not shocking given Westbrook's, you know, ability to pick up stats and the wizards, they did, they just kick up and down the court, like the offense in the NBA this season is crazy. So Um, but since March 13th, he's averaging 23 points, 13 rebounds, 13 assists with five turnovers, 1.4 steals in 38 minutes. The wizards have lost just three times since April 7th, which was shocking for me to learn. I knew they'd been playing well, but I didn't realize it was that well. And they are three games up on the Raptors for 10th. So that gap is, uh, it looks like they might be kind of locked into the 10th seed here. Um, it's uh, I, I just can't believe this is happening. I mean, to some extent, like I kind of I guess I thought the Wizards would be better. I, I didn't expect them to make a turnaround like this, I guess, after it looked like the start of the season. They yeah. were like awful.
2: Yeah, I mean, they were pretty much the worst team in the league. I I don't know if that's true by by record, but it felt like they were the worst team in the league, especially because they had slightly higher expectations than a lot of the teams that they were competing with for that title. But I mean, they were they were getting beat down regularly. Early on, I mean, I, I'm looking now they started the season 0 and 5 with losses to Philly, uh, Orlando, Orlando, Chicago, Chicago, finally got on the board uh, against Minnesota. And, you know, from there, it was it was pretty much, you know, trading wins and losses, you know, kind of, uh, you know, one step forward, two steps back all the way up to the All-Star break. But I mean, much like last season, it was it was a, a tale of two Two halves for Russell Westbrook, who looked horrible, you know, to begin the year, looked like one of the biggest busts in terms of fantasy, um, you know, coming into the, the first two months of the season. And then much like last year, it's like he, he flipped a switch and decided to start playing a little bit differently. And all of a sudden he starts looking like 2017 Westbrook again. And statistically, I mean, obviously he's benefiting from the Wizards playing at a ridiculous pace and offense offenses up all around the league and all that. But I mean, these are absolutely insane counting stat numbers. And I, I know a couple weeks ago you said you would probably leave Westbrook off of uh, your all NBA team. I think he's a lock at this point. I, I think the counting stats, even though they're probably a little empty at the end of the day, I think they're so overwhelming that he might even make second team.
1: Maybe. Um, probably not second
2: team. I, somebody will put him on there. I, I mean, some yeah, somebody will put him on there. Um, Actually, I take that back. The, the top four guys are too strong. He has no chance of second team. <laughs> but someone will vote for him. Yeah, I mean, some of it depends on, like, you know, because he
1: is Doncic a guard, you know, like the amount that you want like, do you put Jimmy Butler at forward? Um, there's I think if you wanted to get Russell Westbrook on your all NBA second team that you might be able to, you know, justify it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I would have to it, might, it really may come down to the end of the season. I don't know. I just I'm not sure what he's doing is like that much better than. I mean, just, are we going to have to have a conversation about like Trey Young, Kyrie Irving you at that dare? point? I,
2: Trey I Young? Know. Maybe. I mean, the fact that we are talking about a guy who's averaging 22, 11, and 11 like this yeah, <laughs> says man. a lot about where Russell Westbrook is okay. at at this point in his career.
1: Some of it depends on how much you care about the defensive rebounds. Like, how much are the defensive rebounds worth to you? Because Because Trey Young's averaging 26 and 10 on better shooting with yeah. I think fewer turnovers and obviously he doesn't have the rebounds but uh, like how, how much are we really counting
2: defensive uh, rebounds are the number one thing that matter to me <laughs> whoever whoever leads the league in defensive rebounds should be the MVP so I guess that's Rudy Gobert defensive rebounds might be
1: the most like overrated stat consistently oh, yeah. in the league um, no question and
2: I, I, weirdly I think on, offensive rebounds have become super underrated because nobody tries for them anymore <laughs> right yeah Yeah, I'm looking at offensive rebound leader is Clint Capella, unsurprisingly. Enos Kanter, number two. is three, eight, and four, Gobert, five.
1: Capella's having an insane year. Capella is like
2: having a Rudy Gobert year.
1: Yeah. Very quietly, averaging 15 and 14 with two blocks and shooting like 60%. Yeah.
2: Westbrook is currently eighth in total rebounds and first in assists by 99 over number two, Chris Paul. That's crazy. Chris That's Paul's second in assists. That's surprising. Second in total assists. Yeah. So obviously, yeah. games play helps oh. a lot, but still. I mean, Jokic is third, Trey Young fourth, Dodge fifth. Huh. Yeah. I, I just,
1: I, I don't know. I mean, I think if you, if you, again, this is like, it, it, it's it's the argument that you always have about Westbrook. It's like, yeah, you look at the, you know, he's he's averaging 20, 10, and 10, but how much do you care about rebounds? How much does the efficiency differential between him and uh, comparable players matter to you and how much are you weighing turnovers? Like that's kind Fair. of a, just the story on him. So like, I understand why people put, will put him on third team. I think the last two LNBA teams he made have been third team. Um, yeah. But I, I'm not sure I would.
2: Man, he, he came along just a little too late. I mean, if he, if he had been doing this in like 2005, I think it would be like, who do you got Jordan or Westbrook? Right. <laughs> he is 153rd in win shares per 48. This season, that is not good. He's thirtieth thirtieth in VORP, and he is oh boy, hundred forty third in total win shares. So So this is is right below Kevon Looney. (laughs) What? Yeah.
1: See, this is part of the problem with Westbrook. It's like you advanced stats don't tell the whole story, and box score stats don't tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you want the two to match up, (laughs) right, and align. Like, do these two things agree with each other? And um, they are in complete disagreement uh, for Russell Westbrook uh, this season and and in recent seasons as well. I mean, he was, you know, for like uh, for for his prime, they matched up, right? Like the numbers Mm -hmm. and his his advanced stats all matched matched up, but not anymore. Um, they're, They're pretty divergent at this point.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a completely unique player at this point. Like, like you said, I mean, the defensive rebounding and the total rebounding alone for a point guard is essentially unmatched. I, I haven't looked this up, but I, I assume he's going to go down as the number one guard rebounder ever. Right. I mean, I, I don't know that any other guard, you know, unless, unless he really tails off here and, and like retires early, I don't, I think Jason Kidd is probably way up there, but I mean, he was never averaging double digits in rebounds. That was just kind of more of a, a long-term compiling type of thing. But I mean, for a player like Russell Westbrook in his first five years, six years in the NBA, and he was a high minute guy right away, came in averaging 33 minutes a game as a rookie and was pretty much good right away. Um, first six years in the NBA averaged 4.9 rebounds per game, 3.3 3 defensive rebounds per game. And then something happened uh, starting in 2014-15, because since then it's been 9.5 rebounds, 7.7 7 defensive rebounds, despite playing basically the same amount of minutes in that span. Yeah, I think uh,
1: I I mean, you can just some people f- just fly in for those defensive rebounds. I'm not saying he's a bad rebounder because there are a lot of games where like I watch Russell Westbrook and he comes at flying in for some rebound and he'll re- he will really jump over three players and grab one. That happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not sure he, he that is like what factors in to his all time greatness. You know, I don't I don't think. I just think if if you are making an argument for, like, Russell Westbrook as, like, a top five-point guard ever, mm. and you're using, yeah, because, I mean, he's, you know, nine and a half defensive rebounds per game. It's like, <laughs> I think you lost already.
2: I think you lost the argument no, already sure. the second that you bring up the rebounds. I mean, the big thing is he's, at this point, I, I think, especially the way that he's kind of locked into Washington with his contract, it's like, I, I think the ship has sailed on him being... Certainly it's sailed on him being the best player on a title team like that. That ship. I don't know if that ship ever even existed, but it's probably sailed on him being like the second best player and like mega impactful on a title team. You know, I I think the argument against Westbrook is, you know, has always been like he's getting stats at the at the expense of of winning games. Right. And I think once you win a title, that kind of changes the argument in some ways. And, you know, fair or not, if, if they had won one in OKC, nobody could ever say that, you know, he'd they'd be like, well, you know, you're still grabbing all these stats. You only have one title. would be like, yeah, but I have one. I mean, it's kind of Kyrie. Like once you get that title at any point in your career, you're basically immune to criticism on some level for for the rest of your career, because you can always say, well, I have that ring. And the fact that he doesn't have it and probably isn't going to get it, I, I think, is probably the biggest mark against him, because, you know, for the people who are skeptical of, of how he's accumulating these stats and the people who watch the games and, you know, see him stealing rebounds from Steven Adams, like, you know, again, the, the argument against it is you're just doing this to get stats because you don't have a ring. And as long as you don't have that ring, that that argument is going to kind of be the trump card.
1: Yeah. And I think I mean, he is an, he's an extremely entertaining player. And like if I was uh if I had a you know, if I was running a team and I knew that I was going to be bad, but I needed to be like saddled with some contract. Like Russell Westbrook is a way more fun player than John Wall. And yes. like I understand why that deal happened. Um, So. I don't know. I mean, the the problem is he's like, he's still, I think he's still too good to do like what Blake Griffin did and be like, buy me oh, out. Yeah. I'm going to a contender. I'm a six man. I'm playing 25 minutes a game. Yeah. You know, he's still too good for that. Will that come in like three years, you know, like for his final contract in the NBA or is after this deal is over, will he turn into that player?
2: Maybe. Um, We'll see. He has more career rebounds than Amari Stoudemire and Vince Carter. That's insane. That's crazy. It's Carter played yeah. a lot of years, and it was much taller. <laughs>
1: yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I this is this is kind of one of those things where I do wonder if, I mean, he tries, I think he tries harder than anybody else in the regular season, right? Yeah. Is that, is that a lock? And, you know, how many other players, if they were to go full out 100% and were like, I'm getting 10 rebounds a game,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how many other players in the league would be doing that? And I understand there's a like decent a- amount you can say that a player is doing that but he's actually going out and doing it i think the problem is that when we talk about players legacies once they reach a certain point it you got to you everyone inevitably looks at the playoffs mm-hmm. even if it's not just rings it's like playoff performance yeah. and i think when everyone else decides to play at like 100% effort that that you can just westbrook's impact is like a pure like a hustle superstar it's just not as, it's not as great because everyone else is trying harder too.
2: Yeah. I think that that's actually a really interesting argument. I I haven't heard it really laid out like that. Um, I think that's really smart. I mean, I, I, I kind of went through thinking about Carmelo Anthony last night when he moved up to, I think it was 10th all time on the leading scoring list. And you're like, that just, to me, that just doesn't yeah. seem right. You know, because like in some ways I feel like that should reflect like the all time rankings. Like, like he's definitely not the 10th best player ever, but he's apparently the 10th, you know, best scorer. I, I I mean, part of me wants to give Westbrook credit. Like, I I hope he's playing the long game and he's like, you know, I I may never get this ring. But in 30 years, when people are browsing (laughs) basketballreference.com, they'll see that I am, you know, number 12 in rebounds. I'm number, you know, whatever, 15 in points. I'm way up there in assists. Like, you know, I, I think those stats become a lot bigger the further removed you are. And, you know, like, obviously right now we're watching it every single night. And we're like, okay, I know how you got these 24 assists. I know how you got these 21 rebounds. But in 20 years, when people don't have the context, I think it's going to look a lot more impressive.
1: It could. Yeah. And I also, I think some of it is like, you have to separate the commentary about Westbrook in terms of like, is he an all time great compared to, you know, X X or Y player compared to like, can you blame him for playing like this? And like, if you were, if you had the opportunity to play basketball like this, would you? And I think, Uh, no, too lazy. (laughs) I know, but like, imagine how fun it is to be Russell Westbrook, is what I'm saying. And even, even if, like, maybe you are, maybe you understand that, like, you know, I'm not the best player on a title team. Like, I'm stuck in, I'm, I'm stuck in Washington yeah. with like an unhappy, maybe an unhappy Bradley Beal and like mm-hmm. Marie Hachimura and Denny Advia. But like, I'm gonna, like, I'm just gonna go crazy every single night because I'm in the NBA and I can get 20, 10, and 10
2: mm-hmm. when
1: I want. And it's hard to say that, like. He shouldn't be doing that because I don't think any of us can like sit here and say that if we got to be Russell Westbrook for a day uh, that we wouldn't want to do that for the rest of our lives. You know,
2: what I, I mean? I wish he would just come out and say it. That would absolve him of everything. If he was just like, look, man, I, I know this team is terrible. I just want to get triple doubles. I think people would be like, hell, yeah, I respect that. The <laughs> but the fact that he like pretends like he's not doing it and like pretends like every year is like, yeah, we're winning the title. And then obviously they come up way short and he has like a three for 15 shooting game in round one like there's there's this kind of like a lack of self-awareness i feel like around it that that makes it a little more or a little tougher to embrace i guess as a fan
1: yeah and the bad games look so bad that uh right it it can be though those are the points where you're like because it
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
1: For a lot of times, Westbrook, you know, the shooting number, it's like, yeah, he's shooting 44%. But sometimes that's like he shot 20% on 20 shots. Mm-hmm. And when you're watching, it's like, man, how many times are you can pull up from 14 in transition and just break it? Like, yeah. it's, you know, but hey, I mean, <laughs> good on him. I I don't know. It's He's one of the most like confounding players to me in terms of how yeah. I feel about him Um, that that I've ever like watched play.
2: There aren't many guys in the league who we could spend a good 15 minutes on just debating like if they're actually good, despite <laughs> averaging a triple-double for the third time. So, I mean, hats off to him for for even creating this debate. Uh, I want to talk about the play-in picture real quickly. We have a, a, a definitely a clearer picture for which teams are, are likely to be involved. Uh, I mean, in the West, it's LA, Dallas, Portland separated right now by one game. The Lakers are currently in fifth. The Blazers are currently in seventh. Uh, then you have a little bit of a gap, a three-game gap, down to Golden State at eight. Memphis at nine is right there, San Antonio. Um, and then we have a gap down to New Orleans, which is technically still alive. I mean, the, the Spurs and the Grizzlies are begging the New Orleans Pelicans to take over the ninth or the tenth spot. The Spurs have lost four out of five. The Grizzlies are, have lost four in a row, I believe, uh, one or the other. They They're both losing a ton of games, and the Pelicans just simply refuse to win games. Um, So I'm pretty comfortable at this point. I mean, we're talking like, what, six, seven games left for some some of these teams. I I think it's going to be those six teams, Lakers, Mavs, Blazers, Warriors, Grizzlies, Spurs, uh, essentially competing for three playoff spots. And then obviously two of those teams will not end up in the play in. And then in the Eastern Conference, very similar story where we have a gap from Washington at 10 down to Toronto at 11. And unlike, unlike New Orleans, like Toronto is showing no interest in actually even attempting to get the 10th spot. Um, Indiana has a ton of injuries. Charlotte uh, has a ton of injuries. Miles Bridges, they just lost him for 10 to 14 days uh, due to health and safety protocols. Gordon Hayward obviously out as well. Um, but in the Eastern Conference, it's you know Washington, Indiana, Charlotte, Boston, Miami, and even Atlanta. I, I think it's still roped into that. So kind of the 5 through 10 in both conferences are, are extremely similar right now. And it's actually even tighter in the West than the East.
1: The irony of the Pelicans missing out two straight years mm-hmm. for the Zion Williamson play in invitational mm-hmm. that the NBA created is disappointing. Fact. It's really. awful. Um, I last year, it, it genuinely felt manufactured to make sure Zion Williamson got into the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's what happened this year, but I, uh, Man, I am just sick of not seeing Zion play in the playoffs because he's clearly amazing. But yeah, I mean the yeah, it does it does look like we have like all the teams set and I don't know. I mean, are are do you do you feel like any of any of these teams like let's I guess let's discount the Lakers that any of the remaining of these teams have any chance of getting to the conference finals?
2: In the West, definitely not. No, I mean Dallas. You know, Dallas just hasn't strung together like five good games in a row all year, and they're running out of time to do that. So they have, they basically have like a week and a half to try to put those games together. I don't think that's going to happen. Portland's kind of been the same story. We've we've talked about them a ton the last couple of weeks. Don't need to get yeah. back into that. I mean, Golden State obviously they have they have a, a very high ceiling like for any one game because Steph Curry can go for 40 plus on every any single night, but. Over the course of a series, I just don't think they have enough. And then, you know, Memphis, San Antonio, I think we know the story there. In the East, I I mean, I'm not quite ready to give up on Boston. I I certainly wouldn't bet on them really doing anything in the playoffs because they're a team that's three games over 500 right now. But Miami is, is a team that I think is still a little bit scary. Like they they've been disappointing technically, but they also played, you know, several weeks longer than than virtually any other team, you know, in this mix. And it, it, even though it's been a, a fairly disappointing year, they're only five games over 500. You know, they had a bunch of COVID issues early on, butler has been in and out. He's out again tonight at had some like tendonitis issues. Drogic has been down compared to last year. Like to me, it, it just feels like they they're not necessarily in a rush to, uh, you know, try to try to get like a top four seed. Like once, once it kind of felt like they were behind the eight ball and had that bad start, I, I kind of got the impression that there wasn't any panic, you know, as a team that, made it to the finals last year, you know, not as a one or a two seed. I, I feel like having that in their back pocket, like this is basically the exact same roster as last season. Like they, they did it last year. I, I feel like we can't just write them off um, because it happened, you know, basically within this last calendar year.
1: Yeah. I mean, Miami, they, I don't think care too much about their seed because they have nobody to be afraid of right off the bat. Right. I mean, who are they afraid of besides I mean, they're probably not even really afraid of Milwaukee. I'm sure they have more no. concerns that Drew Holiday is there, right? That complicates yeah. things. But the structure of the Bucs really is not right. so different that they should all, all of a sudden be, like, terrified of playing Milwaukee. So, theoretically, they're not scared of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not scared of anybody that, like, <laughs> the Knicks, the Hawks, like, they don't, Boston, they don't, I, I don't Absolutely have any not. fear of losing to those teams. And so, for them, yeah, I mean, you have to beat Brooklyn, you have to beat Philly, but those are the teams like every other team in the conference is worrying about too. Um, yeah. So I think, I think, yeah, I, th- I think that betting on them of the, of the, you know, that other tier of teams to be in the conference finals makes sense. I think that's, I think that's the yeah. team you look at.
2: Right. I, I think they're going to be in a pretty good spot unless they get Brooklyn in round one, whatever team gets Brooklyn in round one, assuming Harden's back, I, I think is in real trouble. So, you know, yeah. if that's Boston right now, if the standings hold, we'd have Boston Brooklyn and that's, that's probably Nets in five. But I mean, if Miami gets the four and or excuse me, gets the five and plays the Knicks in round one, I, I'm not picking the Knicks, you know, and no. and I, I would pick Milwaukee over Miami in a in a theoretical three, six or, or two, seven. But I don't know. I mean, like you said, I don't think Miami's scared of that matchup whatsoever. I, I think I would feel a lot better about Milwaukee's chances this time around compared to last year. But I also felt really good about the Bucks' chances going into that series last year. You know, like they were overwhelming favorites to beat Miami. And it all happened so quickly that, you know, we, I think we started to judge the Bucks a lot differently. And that's really when people started to judge the heat a lot differently. And that's carried over to this year. Yeah. I mean, I think I was probably more pessimistic than than like you
1: regarding the, the Bucks and the heat. Like I, I did the whole write-up on that playoff matchup. And I was like, the more I was like typing, the more I got worried for the Bucs. Um, and I, I mean, I do think the Drew Holiday edition matters a lot. Like watching him play for the Bucs, like, I mean, I didn't watch a ton of Pelicans games when when Holiday was on there. You know, I like I watched that series where he dismantled the 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 trailblazers. That was was like four or five years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. But actually having Drew Holiday on your team, you realize like how good he actually is. And like his defense on Kyrie Irving on the other the other night. I forgot what day that was Sunday on Sunday. That was embarrassing for Kyrie. Like (laughs) we get to see it again tonight. Yeah, I mean, Kyrie would go for one move, and like he would kind of like basically Drew Holiday wouldn't bite on anything super hard. Yep. And then when Kyrie would come to either draw contact or something, Holiday would almost like pull back and then swipe the ball. It was like it was rough for Kyrie, but yeah, um, yeah. And Drew's post up game is is really good too. He was just playing bully ball sometimes. So I don't know. Uh, I again, I like Miami of that group. I think I think Atlanta's a little sneaky if they get everyone healthy but they have such little playoff experience that it yeah. would be hard for me to have a ton of confidence in them. But I think a full roster, like if they had ever, like if DeAndre Hunter ever gets back, um, they are, they are interesting to me just because the amount of talent that they have. Right.
2: They, so they, I mean, they are, they're kind of, kind of the opposite. Like I was going to say about Milwaukee, it's like they basically traded depth for, a, a, you know, one more elite piece in holiday. And, you know, now they don't go like 11 deep, like they did the last couple of years, but you know, in the playoffs, I, I think ideally you're probably only playing seven or eight guys anyway. So you're sacrificing some depth pieces who were really not even going to be probably a part of your playoff rotation. Or maybe they were the last couple of years and should not have been. And I think that was part of the issue for Milwaukee. And with Atlanta, it's like they almost have too many guys when everyone's healthy. Like now Chris Dunn is back. Like you said, if Hunter's back, you know, like all of a sudden Tony Snell has been like kind of their full time starter at small forward. Like Bogdanovich was was in and out. Trey Young's been in and out. Like they almost might have too many pieces. And I, I wouldn't say they can't win a series because if it's if it's Knicks Hawks four or five, which is which it would be right now if the season ended right the second. Like that's kind of a toss up series to me. But I, I wouldn't pick Atlanta against Milwaukee, Brooklyn or Philly. I, I think that would be, you know, may, maybe five or six games, but I, I don't think that would really be much of a challenge for any of those teams. Right. And that's
1: the problem. It's like they
2: feel like they're almost
1: like the next team up to, from a talent standpoint. showing sure. like On paper. But. Uh, Again, yeah, you're not going to pick them over like Milwaukee because, I mean, they're I mean, again, yeah, they're super deep. Like they're the guy who's playing the eighth most minutes per game on their team is Danilo Gallinari. Like he's Mm -hmm. their eighth man, theoretically. Um, And Lou Williams is their ninth man. Mm -hmm. So that just speaks to like how much how how much talent they can have on the court at the same time. But yeah, it'll be basically like it'll be good to see Trey Young in the playoffs.
2: Like that's that's really what I want to see. Yeah, it's been been a really weird year for Trey Young. like I, It feels like it's been a down year. And then at the same time, I mean, they're in fifth right now. I, I think they're probably, like pure record-wise, it, it feels like they're overperforming, probably what a lot of people thought. But he, he just hasn't had quite as many of those wow games. Like, you know, it, it feels like he should be having every now and then, you know, some of these games like Curry is where he's just, you know, going off for 40 through three quarters. And and overall, Young's numbers are really solid. You know, they're, they're winning more games. He's playing, I think, more team-oriented basketball, especially over these last couple months. but. At the same time, like his his rise toward like superstardom, which looked like it was on a rocket ship by the end of his rookie year. To me, it feels like it's tailed off just a little bit.
1: Last season, he had 11 games with at least 40 points. This season, it's four games with at least 40 points. And last season, he had a 50 point. This year, he doesn't. Yeah. Um, But I think that's okay. I mean, I think this is kind of what happens or what should happen for like a young player who is already like. If you draft a guy and by his sophomore season, he's already an all star for a bad team, theoretically, you should give him more help. His numbers should go down and the team should get better.
2: Yeah. So but then he also didn't make the all star team, which isn't the end of the world, but weird. Yeah. You know, like that, that, that seemed like probably close to a lot going into the year. It is a little
1: bizarre because the knock on Trey Young was always like, listen, man, his stats are crazy, but this team is garbage. Like he's, he's leading a garbage team. And then he puts up, 85 to 90 percent of like the same stats, and the team is the fourth best in the East, and people are like, "Nah, he's not that good." So it's like, like what what is the real discourse about yeah. Trey Young?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, he's at 43 percent shooting on the year. That's not right. ideal. Um, and he's, he he ha- he's one of those players that like blindly you're watching him, and he's like, you're probably like, this guy shoots 45 percent from three. You know, the confidence that he right. shoots it with, like when he's on, I mean, he can go nine of 12 from three on any night he's at 35.6% from three, which is down from last year. Um, You know, like the the Curry comp is so obvious just because it's very clear who he molded his game after, you know, coming up in high school and college. But I mean, he's a good like eight or nine percentage points short of where Steph is from three.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I would like to see, you know, his numbers when he's actually like at the three point line. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how, i say it is, with
2: Steph too. Steph would be at like seventy percent.
1: Yeah, like a, a, to some extent, I know Trey Young. Like he shoots them back there sometimes because he he doesn't have he he he's not tall enough to like always create that separation vertically, right? To get the shot off, he's not Kevin Durant. Like he can't just pull up. So I understand he's he's taking some from farther back, but um, yeah, I think I think to me it's just I mean part of his game, the evolution of his game too, is getting to the free throw line more. I mean. He's a point guard who's getting into the line like nine times a game over the past two seasons, which is crazy. And I am I think when the playoffs come, I want to know, are is he still going to get these calls? Like, is he going to suddenly go to five free throws a game in the playoffs? And then people are going to pressure him up on three and he's only going to shoot 40 percent from the field and he's not getting his free throws and his turnovers are up. You know, that sort of a thing.
2: Right. Right. That's a good point. I mean, a lot of the high level difficulty threes have been swapped for, you know, foul hunting and and it's worked out. I mean, you, you can't fault yeah. him for it if he's getting the calls. Uh, real quickly, I want to talk about just the bottom of the standings and the race to the bottom and whether there actually should be this race to the bottom, because, you know, the top or the bottom three teams, there's no reward for having the worst record necessarily. Um, technically, you can't fall lower than fifth. Whereas if you have the second or third worst record, you could fall to sixth or seventh, respectively. Both of those are very unlikely um, based on the odds. But that, you know, the first, second, and third worst records all have a 14% chance at the number one pick, which is ultimately what you're going for. Um, I have completely forgot that by virtue of the Westbrook trade from OKC to Houston, the Rockets could potentially lose their pick if it falls outside of the top four. So, you know, if if we're wondering why they've been so aggressive in making sure that they're in that bottom three, uh, because that's that's really where you want to be. And then obviously having the worst record means you can only fall to five. Um, So that that's ideal from just mitigating risk. Um, They're in a really good position to hang on to that pick. It's pretty unlikely that it would convey to OKC. But, you know, we have this kind of bottom six solidifying of Houston, Minnesota, Detroit, Orlando, Cleveland, OKC. I, I think it's going to be really interesting on lottery night because two of the three or two of the four teams I picked in the top four last year jumped up from sixth and seventh in the odds. So, it, you know, it, it, I'm still kind of in that mode thinking like 2015, where, you know, basically whatever teams finish bottom three would usually pick somewhere in the top four, at least if not in that order in the top three. But I, I think it's going to be really interesting to start speculating, you know, like what if Sacramento or New Orleans or Chicago you know, were to jump into that top three or, or in this draft top four or five and land a real difference maker.
1: I mean, it's certainly possible. Like, I mean, even like, yeah, like Toronto with the eighth worst record has a 26% chance of getting top four. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like the, the flattened lottery odds, I think to some extent, like you can look at it, I'm sure Sam Presti and the thunder look at it like, well now, (laughs) we can get screwed so much more that we need to make sure we are really bad for four or five years. Because if we were only bad for like three, we could catch a few bad ping pong balls and we pick like sixth, fourth, right. and eight.
2: Uh, I feel like that's what's happened to the Cavs, right? Like they, I think they were supposed to like, by virtue of the odds, they were supposed to be picking like second or third last year and, and ended up falling down a little bit. Like they've kind of, they've kind of been right on the cusp of like right where, where the elite players in the draft cut off. They're always picking right after that
1: yeah and so i you know i think this in general will help fix competitiveness uh because you don't have to completely throw your season in theory to potentially get a a franchise changing player um and i'm not opposed to like more randomness to some extent but yeah i think um this is But at the same time, again, like I mentioned, I just don't know if this will lead to like longer tanking by certain franchises like Houston, Detroit, uh, OKC especially. But I mean, Orlando might be in a good spot, too, right? Because um, they're going to get Chicago's pick theoretically and their own pick. So, I mean, hey, Orlando could has 11 percent chance, 12 percent chance of the number one pick. They could get Chicago's pick, which has a seven and a half percent chance of number one right now. Uh, at, at the Uh as the seventh worst Well, Chicago's is so.
2: protected, I believe.
1: For how many? Oh, is it's it lottery
2: four. protected? I think it's top four. Well, top four.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah right. So, I mean,
2: their best case scenario is they pick number one and Chicago picks five, and they yeah, get one right. and five. Which is, I mean, yes. it's very possible. I mean, not very possible, but generally possible. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be...
1: Yeah, no one would be like, this is a conspiracy, right? No. It's like, it's we're in that realm, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> Less conspiracy.
2: I, I do love the general randomness. Although, like you don't want to be the team that just like kind of keeps getting randomly left out like Cleveland. You know, like if, yeah, if you if go into the lottery in the bottom three, three straight years, and you're picking like third, fifth and seventh, you're not going to feel great about that. Um, and I, I, I do like the idea of having a team like Toronto that just feels out of place. You know, when you're looking at lottery odds, it's like in order, you know, Orlando, Cleveland, Chicago, Toronto, Sacramento. Um, Like it's, it's kind of cool to have a wildcard team in there that like, Hey, if they, if they land in the top three, like they can reload a lot faster than these other teams that are on like four or five year rebuilds.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm on I think we're both looking at a tankathon right now. Yep. I just hit sim lottery once and Chicago went up to number 2. Right? So like Indiana Indiana went to 4. I think so, what I they mean, should
2: do instead of just doing one draw, you know, on on TV, they should sim it a bunch of times and then like let the fans vote on like what's the most fun outcome and then that's, that's the <laughs> order that we go with. <laughs>
1: Yeah, or you do it kind of like uh, you know when you're picking teams, like NBA 2K with your friend. Yeah. It's like you get two tries, and if you don't like any of those teams, you have to pick between those two. Yes. And then if you don't like those two, you hit random one more time, but you have to go with the right. third one. Uh,
2: I, lo- I love how universal that is. I like, I- I've never even talked <laughs> about that. It's just like everybody that I've ever played video games against just knows that that's how it works.
1: Yeah, so yeah, you just look at each other. You're like, we're doing the random thing, right? Everyone's like, yeah, yep. he's like, "Not."
2: I have just such a long history of that not working out in my favor. Like a lot a lot of games of like, well, I, I guess I'm going to be the Cavs. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I don't really have, uh, I'm not like rooting for a certain team, I guess, to get the number one pick. And, and part of it is because there's not like a monster Anthony Davis prize at the top. I know a lot of people love Kate Cunningham. A lot of people right. love Jalen Green, Kaminga. Yeah. You know, I think Jalen Suggs is going to end up working his way into that discussion as well. But I think that's kind of what makes it a little more fun is there's there's four or five guys that you feel really good about working out. And, you know, when there's only one, then it's like a massive disappointment if you're picking number two, whereas like there's some teams that could jump up to four and would be elated to have that pick, whereas last year that gets you what Patrick Williams or Isaac Okoro. Yeah, or Tyrese
1: Halliburton, if you're if you're smart, if you're (laughs) smart, if you're smart.
2: Speaking of him, like we, we were talking about this off air, still no update on what looked like a very severe injury. That was on Sunday, right? Uh, I think so. I think yeah, um, I think it was like normally we get updates on this stuff pretty quickly and still really no word. I mean, I, I think that's probably a good thing. And maybe by the time this publishes, we'll have an actual update. But that did not look good at all. Like I he was just kind of dribbling up court and changed direction. And it, it looked like his I think it was his left leg just got stuck basically on the floor and kind of what it reminded me of is like way back in the day when Michael Red got hurt and it, his foot kind of like recoiled and like kind of shot his body up in the air a little bit. Um, right. but that, that really did not look good at all for Hal Burton.
1: Yeah. I watched it a few times cause it wasn't gross enough to where like I had to look yep. away. Um, and it seemed like what happened is he was like, yeah, trying to cross over at half court, kicked the player's shoe in front of him and then ended up going from like a left foot to, to try to like put his left foot down again mm-hmm. to like, he was also like, I guess trying to balance himself. But yeah, it looked like he hyper extended it. Um, and I think that's one of those things where players can come back pretty soon. It's not like an end of the world thing, but it might be kind of a pain management thing. And you want to make sure, obviously, that he didn't like tear his meniscus or anything crazy like that before right. throwing him back out there. Especially since the team has, I mean, they have nothing to play for, right? No. So it's not like, yeah. you. you I would be surprised him. if we see him again this year for that reason. Yeah. I mean, he, his health has to be the priority for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously a disappointing year for the Kings, and I, I will make this very clear. I do not want this to lead to an extensive Sacramento Kings discussion as we're trying to wrap up the pod, but uh disappointing year for Sacramento. It feels like this is how 14 of their last 15 years essentially have played out, where they, they make like a, a very spirited run for like two weeks where it looks like they're going to get the eight seed, and then they completely blow it at the end. But, I mean, just, just having Tyrese Halbert and confirming over like 50-plus games that he's really good I think is a huge step in the right direction. Like they, they would be, I mean, it, w- it would just be a, like their outlook is still not even that great with Halliburton in the mix, but it would be so much worse if they did not have him.
1: It really would be. Um. Yeah. And they're in a weird spot because they have to decide whether or not to pay Rashawn Holmes, who might be yep. their third best player. Uh, Buggy healed has had kind of a, a weird down year. Um. Yeah, weird, weird life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I really don't know where they're supposed to go from here. You know, especially after they let, they let Bogdanovich go, um, which in hindsight is starting to look terrible. But would they have really, I mean would they maybe be in the playing with Bogdanovich?
2: Possibly, yeah. I'm not sure. Who knows? Who knows? One of the all-time what-ifs in sports <laughs> history.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes